screen a picture up here that has two terms that maybe you learned sometime in your math experience, okay? We have the greater than symbol and the less than symbol. Now, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, that's the green thing in the middle, okay? It's not the full word, but just the little green thing in the middle. It's the greater than and the less than. And what I want to explain to you just briefly is a, it's really a rhetorical argument and it's a logical argument. And the way we describe it is from the lesser to the greater and from the greater to the lesser. Okay? Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6 and I'll explain to you what I mean by this. And you'll see how important this is for us in our understanding of God. See, in reality, what was happening was this. My children were understanding from the greater to the lesser. They were understanding in their little minds, in their little feeble minds at that moment, the great one, daddy, was in control. And if the great one, daddy, is in control, then I can trust him for everything. They were arguing from the greater to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser is what they were doing. In their little minds, from the greater to the lesser, he's great, I'm less, I can trust. This is the kind of argument that happens a lot of times in your Bible. Matthew chapter 6, are you there? Here's an example. Here's an example. Matthew chapter 26, chapter 6 that is, verse 26. This says, Jesus speaking here, let me just get 25 as well. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Verse 26 is what I'm after, though. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, my children running down the road, that's an argument from the greater to the lesser. But verse 26 is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Let me explain this to you. The birds, they don't really mean much at all. I mean, you know, you, they just are here and gone and they're all over the place, right? They just get on your nerves in the morning because they wake you up. Well, that's a grumpy way to look at it, isn't it? But there's a lot of them. And what Jesus is saying here is they don't do anything to, to feed themselves. They don't. They don't lay up things in barns. They don't plant fields. They don't go to work nine to five every day. But they're provided for. They're less. You're more. The argument from the lesser to the greater. If God cares for them in the little details of their little lives, will he not care for us? This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Let me fill you in a little secret and you're reading your Bible. When you see an argument from the lesser to the greater, like this birds, like the lilies in verse number 30, okay? The lilies of the field, they're beautiful. They don't worry about their clothes, but they're beautiful. How much more do we need to trust God? Lesser to greater. When you see an argument from the lesser to greater, here's what God's trying to impress upon you. God is trying to impress upon you. God loves you you. God loves you. Often when you see an argument from the lesser to the greater in Scripture, the point of it is God is willing. He's willing in your life because He loves you. He knows you. He's seen every dark corner of your life. 
You can't hide anything from him. He was there in that dark time. He was there in that bad time. And yet he loves you. If he's this concerned about the birds, how much more is he concerned for you? Argument from the lesser to the greater. But today, today, we're going to go back to Daniel. We're going to go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Take this time to turn there. We're going to see today an argument from the greater to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser. Now I told you when you see an argument, when you see the opposite, lesser to the greater, God's communicating his love for us. If he cares for these little puny things, he'll care for you. We're going to see now the argument from the greater to the lesser. And what this will teach us, and what I hope that we'll see, is that God is completely trustworthy. That he is able. That he is sovereign. That he is supreme. That you can trust him with every detail of your life. If he can handle the big stuff, if he can handle the huge things of this world, if he can handle the biggest things you can come up with, then he can handle the little, small details of your life. See the argument from greater to lesser? If he's got this, you don't need to worry about this. God is able and willing to work in your life. God is able, all-powerful, and willing, loving, to work in your life. We're in Daniel chapter 2. Let's review where we've been, okay? Because we've been walking through the book of Daniel. Okay, I've got this bunch of, like, timelines, and I'm going to nerd out on you for just a second, okay? But we're looking at the first six chapters from now of Daniel, okay? Let's just walk down the chart here, okay? This is through Daniel's life. Chapter 1 was about age 15. Chapter 6 is near the end of Daniel's life. Okay? Now you know Daniel has 12 chapters. We'll get to 7 through 12 later, but we're going to concentrate on first through, the first through six chapters for now. So you can see kind of where this happened in Daniel's life. Okay? Underneath the, the next, the purple column, this shows what has happened to the nation of Israel. Particularly what has happened to their worship, their temple. God had instructed them how to worship him. They built a temple, but yet they rebelled against God. And so God brought chastening into their life and dealt with them. And the way that he did that, next one down, is he took the nation of Israel, much of most of them, into captivity in Babylon. Now Babylon was a, was a wicked group of people. They were a conquering nation. They spread throughout that whole region over several hundred years and just continued to, to really take complete control of all of that area. Okay? And during that time, Israel, that's King Josiah, they had no king, they had no country. And this continued all the way, no country of Israel, no nation of Israel, all the way to the 20th century. Now understand that. For over 2,000 years, there was no nation of Israel. Today there is. Today there is. See, God is working a plan. God has a plan. But what we're going to kind of see today is that God was working through the nations that were ruling sort of the known world at that time. 
We're going to see today the Babylonians. They were led primarily by Nebuchadnezzar. He was a military genius. And through victories, conquered the whole region. But his reign was temporary. Because soon after he took over that region, the Medo-Persians came in and they took over that region. And don't worry, soon after that happened, the Greeks came and they were led by a powerful man. He was so powerful that he had everybody call him what? Alexander the Great. And after the Greeks came the Romans. So what we have is these, these world powers that are ruling the earth of that day. Now, last week, I remind you of a nursery rhyme. Remember what it was? Maybe this picture will help you. Okay? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Remember that? Last week we were in Daniel. Okay, and this was our point last week. This is our review. Daniel had a problem. Daniel's problem was that King Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he knew it was something significant. And so he created a problem for a lot of people. He went to the magicians and he went to the, the astrologers and he said, you tell me what this dream is and what it means. Or I'll kill you. And so when Nebuchadnezzar had a problem with this dream, they didn't know what it meant, he created a problem for everybody. And we said, this happens in life. Now hear this. This happens. This happens. Problems come people's way. They do. Maybe problems came your way this week. Maybe a problem arrived at your doorstep this morning. There might be one waiting for you when you get home. Problems come. Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall. We've got to try to put it back together again. We saw in Daniel a, a resolute man. A man who was willing to go against the flow. I love this picture of going against the flow. He went against the flow and in a world that has no hope in God, in a world that doesn't even believe in God, Daniel maintained his hope in God. And in the midst of being told, tell me this dream or you die. Tell me this dream and what it means or you all die. Daniel had faith and Daniel pointed to God. Let me show it to you. In Daniel chapter 2, okay, get there. Get ahead of me, I'm not there yet. Daniel chapter 2. Look with me at verse number 27. After being told what he must do, you must not only interpret the dream, Daniel, you must also tell me what the dream is and then give me the interpretation. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has the power of life and death. I'm telling you, he speaks hundreds of people, thousands of people die. Now, in a second, he's, he's going to throw people through lions. He's going to throw people into burning furnaces. This is the power this man has. And he says to Daniel, tell me what the dream was. No, I won't tell you. You tell me. No hints either. Okay? Tell me what the dream was and what it means. Look at Daniel's answer. Daniel answered the king. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer, can show to the king the mystery that the king is at. In other words, this is impossible. This can't be. You're asking for something that cannot be done. 
Hear Daniel's humility. His humble heart that recognizes his weakness. But we read on. Verse 28. And Daniel continued. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. I love this. I've got one more nursery rhyme for you. Okay, I love this story because it, it really illustrates the opposite of what many people do. A lot of us like Chicken Little, I think, is this guy's name. Remember this one? Especially right now. And there was an election in like, what, 89 days or something like that? And man, there are believers in Christ. There are people that know God that are running around all over their keyboard just convinced the sky is falling. It's falling. It's just, everything's going to end. If she isn't elected or he isn't elected or if either one of them is elected, it's all going to come falling down. Everything's going to just be a horrible mess unless something happens. And we're running around like Chicken Little screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Not Daniel. Not Daniel. I want you to, in your mind right now, paint the worst picture you can conceive of for November, whatever it is, election day, 11, 12, 15th, I don't know. What's the worst case scenario? What is it? You got something in your mind? Trust me, it's not as bad as Babylonia. You're not there yet. You are not there. As bad as you might think it is, you are not Daniel and Babylonia yet. For that matter, you're not the Hebrew people under the next ruler. Persia, you're not there. You're not the people in Jesus' day or in Paul's day when the Romans were ruling. And Nero was literally lighting Christians on fire and putting them out in the gardens to light the path. Literally, that's what he did to Christians. Dip them in oil, impale them on a stick, and light them on fire to light the gardens. We're not there. We're not going to be there in November. Let's not be chicken little. And running around saying, ah. Instead, let's be Daniel. Daniel. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. All right, let's finish our outline we started last week. Okay? We saw last week, and we've already reviewed it right now. Powerful men have a problem. Powerful men have a problem. Nebuchadnezzar had many of them. And the reality is the problem is they're limited. Think of the most powerful person you can imagine. They are limited. All men, all women are limited. We're all going to die. We all get sick. We all get cranky. We all need sleep. Not God. He doesn't sleep or slumber. You ever thought about that? Does not sleep, does not slumber. It's not his character. People, men, are limited. And we see that in this, in this whole account of Nebuchadnezzar. As he calls out to all of his sort of staff, okay, his advisory team around him, his cabinet. And he says, come in here and tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And they can't do it. But Daniel stepped to the plate and becomes a spokesperson for God. And all he does, now hear this, all he does is point to Jesus Christ and his word. That's all he does. 
He doesn't, you know, fine-tune his dream interpretation skills. He doesn't run to some book to see how you interpret dreams. He doesn't go on the Amazon to find a book on how to do this. He points to Christ, the Messiah, and his word. See, see where he goes in his word. Look at it with me in verses 20 to 23. Just a review. Let's see what's going on in the heart of Daniel. Daniel answered as he's with his brothers, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and they're praying, his companions, ESV says. And they're seeking the Lord together, and now God answers, and Daniel says this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. Not elections, not the media, not the blank party, whatever you want to fill in there. It's God. We're believers, folks. We're aliens here. We're strangers here. I challenge you, why does it matter to us so much? Honestly, why does it matter who wins elections? I don't belong here. I'm passing through here. You'll go back with me on that vacation that I started with. Virginia Beach, for a week. You know what? You look out, and there I am in the front yard, you know, putting in a patio at the house that we're renting. You'd be like, you fool, what are you doing? Why are you working so hard? You're going to be here until Saturday, then you're driving home, and you say, you're an idiot. And you'd be right. It is God that sets these things up. He reveals, 22, he reveals deep and hidden things he knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. So he knows what he's doing. From the greater to the lesser. You see it? As you sit in the back seat of the minivan, be in peace. Be in peace. And trust that God is working. Great prayer, verse 23. To you, O oh God of my fathers, I give thanks, I give praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Well, let's get to the king's matter, okay? Let's talk about his dream. I, got a, I think I have a video here that, that might work for us, that shows us kind of what the king might have dreamed, okay? As you looked, Daniel said, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away. So not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar woke up. Ah, what was that? Honey, honey, we don't tell you about this weird dream I had. Now, I don't know whether he remembered the dream or not. The passage doesn't tell us. We don't, I don't know whether Nebuchadnezzar was, it was like a trick. They was trying to say, do you know the dream? 
or if he just woke up in such a panic that he knew he had a significant dream and he couldn't remember. You ever have a dream you can't remember? You just wake up in fear? Ah, what was that? I don't know. But it was scary. I don't know what was going on here. But he wants to know what it means. And so God does an amazing work. And through this work, we're going to see another lesson. Okay? We're going to see another problem. And the problem is this. Ruling kings have a problem. And the, ruling, the, the problem is they're temporary. They're temporary. Ruling kings have a problem. They are temporary. Just like you and me. I mean, we think we're the kings of our own kingdom, right? Don't we? Yeah, uh-huh, we do. And we're temporary, too. Now, let's talk, we're going to talk about what this statue was, what this, what this, what this dream is about. But I just want, I want to tell you something before we go any further, okay? You see, what we have here, what we're going to see explained to us by Daniel, is Daniel's going to explain a prophecy. He's going to explain a prophecy. And I want to warn you here about, against something. Sometimes people read prophecies in the Bible and they just go haywire on it, okay? And they're like trying to figure out what this is and what that is and what this picture is and all that kind of stuff. And we need to be careful with that. We need to be careful. It can become a foolish controversy, as Titus 3 warns us against. In reality, this prophetic picture that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar and then to Daniel has already happened. It's already been fulfilled. Much of the prophecy that you find in Scripture has already been fulfilled. Much of it has already been fulfilled. Most of it in Jesus coming to earth. Most of prophecy has been fulfilled. Now that being said, there is another type of prophecy. We usually call it eschatology. E-S-C-H-atology. A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Okay? So eschatology, this is, this is prophetic language or prophetic teaching about the end of things. Eschatology has it at its root the word end or final. So we have prophecy and we have eschatology. Prophecy, most of it has already been fulfilled and it's much of our Old Testament and much of it is to do with Jesus coming back. But then we have eschatology that deals with what will happen at the end. And often, as in this picture that we see, they're kind of intermixed a little bit. Okay? Let's start and read what Daniel has to say about it, because he interprets it. Verse 36. Remember we're seeing here, ruling kings have a problem, and that is a temporary. This was a dream, he says. And now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, now think of Nebuchadnezzar hearing this. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the mighty and the glory, and into his hand he has given... Wherever they dwell, the children of man. Let's stop for just a second and think of what Daniel just said. He just said, Nebuchadnezzar, you have all power, even the power of the children of men. Tell me, what child of a man does Daniel have in mind when he says that? Himself. Nebuchadnezzar exercised that power in Daniel's life when he took him from, from Jerusalem, from Judah, and took him to Babylonia. We saw, right there is an example of what he's talking about. Nebuchadnezzar, God has given you power. God has given you authority here on this earth. God does that. God puts wicked people in charge. Get over it. And he does that often to accomplish his plan. Not often. I just misspoke. Did you hear that? Always to accomplish his plan. 
He's accomplishing, he put Nebuchadnezzar in charge because he was accomplishing his plan through a wicked man. But ruling kings have a problem. They're temporary. So he's ruling right now the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, all right, I'm the man. Dream didn't end there. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. Let's just put up on the screen here. Um, now, th it's, this is a pretty widely accepted interpretation of this dream. Go ahead, Randy. Um, I think I've got it. No? Should be the other one. No? Keep going. Keep going. There it is. Okay. Pretty widely accepted interpretation of what Daniel was saying. It'll be explained more in Daniel chapter 7, but really, we're going to fly by it because it's already happened. After the, Babylon the Babylonians re reigned over their earth for some period of time. And then the Medo-Persians came and conquered the Babylonians. Now, here's something amazing about that. Let me just shock you with the truth in God's word. Go to Isaiah. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah, okay, chapter 44, just to show you how much control God has over the events of our life. We're arguing from the greater to the lesser here. We're, we're arguing from the greater to the lesser. Isaiah chapter 44, okay? Isaiah was written about 750 years before Christ came to earth. And I want you to see something that he says in Isaiah 44, verse 29 into chapter 45. Are you there yet? Well, my Bible, it's page 770. Nothing wrong with table of contents. You'll find the page a lot faster that way sometimes. Isaiah 44, verse 28. God now is who we're speaking of, and, it, and the writer says, Isaiah says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And he shall fulfill my purpose, saying, Of Jerusalem she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him. You say, what is the big deal of that? Cyrus is the silver arms and chest. That passage right there, was written 150 years before Cyrus was ever even born. So you get what just happened? Before Cyrus was ever even born, there is no Persian kingdom when the prophet Isaiah writes this. And the prophet Isaiah explains that Cyrus, who isn't even born, who's going to be the king of a nation that doesn't even exist when it was written, he will say, you Jewish people, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild your temple. The temple hadn't been destroyed yet. This is an amazing piece of prophecy. Skeptics don't know what to do with this. Because it is very easy to date Isaiah when it was written. And every single, well, many historical documents record that King Cyrus of Persia is the one that sent the Jews back to Jerusalem to build the second temple. And so skeptics say... I got no explanation for this. No explanation. He's a Medo-Persian. 
Okay? He was next. Then Alexander the Great ruled over the Greek Empire, and he was ruling over all the earth and thought he was the man. Until the Romans came to town. And then the Romans ruled over all of the lands. And they thought they were the man until that emperor died. And then there was another one, then another one, then another one, then another one. And so what we have happening here, and what God is revealing through this dream, through Daniel, to Nebuchadnezzar, is that God has a plan, and he's working it out. No matter what happens politically, no matter what happens in an election, no matter what happens with world powers, what this passage is showing us is that God is greater. And we are now to go from the greater to the lesser. Now, I do want to keep reading and just make mention to this. Okay? Verse 41 says, And you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you had saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And you might say, of course, that means what? Go ahead, just everybody all together in unison say it. Yeah, right, right? What does that mean? Now, I will tell you this, okay, just in case you're curious. When you hear people talk about, you know, the, the ten-nation satanic empire that's going to rule through Europe and all this kind of stuff, that's where this comes from. That's where this comes from. Here in Daniel chapter 7. I'm not going to give you that speculation. Because I can't really answer that. That's eschatology. That can be another day. We want to learn now what we draw from this. And that's what we pick up in verse 44. Listen now. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. I want you to see here, Daniel is going to comfort this troubled man with the same comfort that we should be comforted with and that we should comfort others with. And that is that God is going to establish a kingdom. God is going to establish a kingdom. It's going to be an earthly kingdom, a future kingdom, a victorious kingdom. There is a kingdom coming. I know we're longing for all of these things to be made right. I know that. You feel it in your gut. When something happened that's wrong, you want it made right. When a wicked person rules, you want that stopped. I understand that. That's eternity on your heart. I get that. But it's never going to go away till the kingdom comes. Till Jesus the king comes to set up his kingdom. Let's read what he says about it. He will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. In other words, there's going to be one king forever. No other kingdom, no other king. There's one. Okay? It shall break in pieces now all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall be Forever, or stand forever. Verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, this is, this is no ruler, where 
Pennsylvania Avenue's not gonna save us. The White House isn't gonna deliver us. Okay, that's not gonna happen. The Western Union governor's not gonna save the day for you. The, none of that. There is a king coming that's not made of it by a human hand, and it will break to pieces, notice, notice what it says, those that were made of iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold. They're gonna be broke to pieces. Every other kingdom will fall. They're all temporary. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. And I think Daniel went, <clears throat> sat down. So we need to see. There's coming a kingdom. There's coming a kingdom. It'll be established by God, verse 44. The God of heaven will do this. Verse 45, it is eternal and is not made by any man's effort. We don't, we don't prepare the kingdom. We don't make the kingdom. We don't, we don't get this world ready for the kingdom. The kingdom comes like a thief in the night. We don't see these signs and say, oh, tomorrow must be the kingdom. It's going to come now. You know, let me tell you a little historical background. There was the theological viewpoint that man had to prepare the world for Jesus to come. Okay? For those of you who know, this is called post-millennialism. And the idea was that Jesus would come back when man prepared the world for him. So we as Christians need to be good Christians and help people and, you know, do all kinds of good things and make this world a better place. So then Jesus will come back and we'll be happy. Now this view was very, very popular until about 1915. And then something happened in the world in the 19-teens and stretched all the way up into the 40s. You know what that something was? World War I and World War II. And all of a sudden, man saw something really important. We are wicked. We kill. We destroy. We ruin. We need help. That's where we stand today. It's why we cry out, Oh God, come. Come. Maranatha, come. That means, Oh Lord, come, in case you're wondering. It's an Aramaic word. It's the last verse of 1 Corinthians. You can check it out. Oh Lord, come. There's a kingdom coming, and it's eternal. Comfort people with this truth, you guys. Come, put it in your words. Okay? I wouldn't mention post-millennialism with your friend at work. Okay? That's probably not a good idea. Put it in your words. But when people start wringing their hands, okay, and what's going to happen? <laughs> just, just tell them what you're hoping on. You're hoping on Jesus coming. That's where your hope is. That's where your hope is. It's not in a leader. It's not a, a, a human leader. It's, it's not an elected official. It's in God. It's in God. Okay, last point. Let's see where Nebuchadnezzar goes. Now, you would think 
that Nebuchadnezzar would turn to Christ and bow down, turn to the Messiah, and cry out, oh, God, save me, right? Well, you'd be half right. He did bow down. But let's see how it goes. Verse 46. Then Nebuchadnezzar, when he heard this, he fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. He tried to worship Daniel. Oh, Daniel. And down on the ground he goes. He tries to worship him because this dream has now been told to him. It's been interpreted to him. He understands what it means. He's blown away by this. Okay? Now, I, want, I wish we could say a Nebuchadnezzar put his trust in the Messiah and was saved. Not the case. Look at Daniel 3.1. Look what Daniel does next. Or, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar does next. Look at Daniel 3.1. King Nebuchadnezzar, in 3.1, made an image of gold. Whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth was 6 cubits, and he set it up on this plane, and he tells everybody, you got to wonder where he got that idea. Hmm. See, what we're going to see here is it's not enough. It's not enough to know that God is in control. It's not enough to know that God is all-powerful. It's not enough to know that God is sovereign. It's not enough to know that God is ruling over all the earth. It's not enough for you to know that God sets up kings and brings them down. You can know all that and still false worship. Nebuchadnezzar got it and then missed it. See what he says? He cries out to Daniel. He wants to offer him you know, incense and worship him. And, King, and Daniel says, no. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. This is Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel now. Your God is awesome. You have been able to reveal this mystery to me, Nebuchadnezzar is saying. But he stops there. Stops there. Then the king gave Daniel high honors, many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. He promoted him. Daniel made a request to the king. He appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And Daniel remained at the king's court. He promoted Daniel to a very high position. He got, he got the idea that Daniel's God was powerful. But he didn't deal with the problem. We can tell people all about our ruling God, our sovereign God, but when they walk away, if the problem of sin has not been dealt with, they'll build their own idol and worship before it. You see, all of us have a problem. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And we all need redeeming. We all need born again. You and every person that you know. This is why we cannot go around crying the sky is falling. We can't be, you know, wringing our hands there above Humpty Dumpty. What are we going to do? We point to Jesus Christ is what we do. That's who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We are a sign pointing to him. We are billboards in our world. And we tell Jesus to everybody. We point to him. And we say, you've got to turn to Christ. Yes, he's a king. Yes, he's coming with the kingdom. You've got to turn to him because you have sin. Yeah. You put it in your words. And that sin can only be forgiven 
through what Christ did. So just to review, what do we learn about God? He rules over all. He rules over all. That's important. That's very important for us. Okay? But it's not most important. Not for today. Not for this moment. Not for this moment. Stay with me. His kingdom is future, eternal, earthly, and victorious. His kingdom is victorious. And that's important, but it's not most important right now. I want to challenge you with the, in my opinion, at this moment, the most important point is this. His kingdom is filled only with those who are born again. That's what it takes to be in this kingdom. That's pretty drastic. It's not believing God is victorious. It's not believing his kingdom is eternal. It's not believing that he is the king. None of that gets a person to the kingdom. The only way that you and our friends and our family and the person you prayed for earlier, remember that? Remember you prayed for somebody. The only way they enter the kingdom is the miraculous act of them being born again. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus said, you cannot be, you cannot be at the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. The hearer of, that, of those words, his name was Nicodemus, he was so shocked by that, he said, what are you saying, Jesus? That I have, my mother has to give birth to me again? What you're saying is so drastic, it makes no sense. It is such a miracle that that's, impo- that's impossible. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Are you born again? Wrestle. Wrestle. Are people that you know and love, do they know enough? Do they know enough to be born again? Let's pray to our God. Lord, we know you rule over all. We know your kingdom is victorious. But Lord, we're ending today with a very important point, and that is no one comes into the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. So Father, I pray for our our friends that are here. Lord, if there's one here today that needs to put their trust in you, God, I pray your spirit would come and do what you promised. Convict them. Sin. Righteousness. Judgment. That they would cry out to their heart that they are sinners, Lord. And look to your cross that saves. Where you gave up your life. Where you shed your blood. Dying for our sins. So that we could have life. And be miraculously born again. Now, Lord, pray your spirit would come and make us signs who point a panicking, fearful world to the Messiah. Pray this in Jesus' name.